Come on, get your Bibles out or your technology and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When I uh, really was seeking God about what we were going to talk and teach on in the coming year, uh, I had just begun to hear Bishop really share again on some concepts of the city church and some things just really erupted in me. I believe the revelation he carries is probably far greater, deeper, certainly has more years lingering in it than I do. But I know when a revelation nugget is dropped and it explodes in your heart, you need to explore it and see what God may be saying to you in it. And so uh, I began to just read and and say lord what are you saying in this regard how does it apply to me as a pastor how does it apply to us as a people how would it apply to people individually with regards to you know their lives and their needs and some things just began to drop on me and the message today as i begin to share it with you uh was one that uh, i wasn't really anxious to share because I really wasn't sure exactly how it would fit with everybody because everybody that comes to church, you know, they have their own personal needs and they're wanting to hear something from God that will help them through the, through the week. And, and so I wasn't sure how that would, how that would uh, you know, be taught or how that would happen. And, and so I was resisting it, but I couldn't get away from it. And you don't mean, I mean, I bet Bishop understands when I say this, but there are times you get a word in you and, and you really say, do I really have to go that direction? I really don't want to go that direction, but you just can't resist it anymore. And so uh, what I want to share today was birthed out of that, and I hope it, it gives you some insight and some help in some area. But we've been talking about in our series the concept of mosaic, a mosaic. A mosaic is a combination of diverse elements forming a more or less coherent whole. So if you'll look back to this picture that we've created, you'll see there's all sorts of colors, all sorts of triangles that exist in there. And together they form this beautiful picture that we call a mosaic. And, and a mosaic means that if there's... It's almost like when you see stained glass or, or you see these kaleidoscopes. That it's, 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 it's this beautiful picture of different colors... But it wouldn't be beautiful unless it all came together. And that's what a mosaic is all about. It's a combination of these diverse elements, colors, or any one of a number of things that form a more or less coherent whole. I maintain that the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, in its, in its intended form was to be a mosaic. In other words, you and I are a part we're one of those colors in that stained glass. We're not the whole stained glass, although you could make a case in a local church even that there are people who are, who are different and together we come together and form our local church. So there's, there's a, an aspect of mosaic even within a local church. Let that be a revelation to you. That means the person sitting next to you is not intended to be just like you. And you're not intended to be like them. Can you say amen? I'm not you. You're not me. But together we make one great big family. There's an anointing because I'm rhyming already. You know there's an anointing when the pastor rhymes. 
So, so it works that way even in a local church, but in a citywide expression, it's the same way. Hear me when I say this. Not every church is meant to look like another church. Why would God do that? You don't look like anyone else. God didn't create you. He created you with a unique fingerprint, with a unique DNA. There's no one just like you in the earth. God wants to use you for kingdom purposes. But hear me when I say this, that, that God isn't cloning you. Man clones, God doesn't clone that's our problem in the body. We're cloning. And because we clone, we think we're doing the work of God. I maintain that every church has its own fingerprint. Every church, local church, has its own DNA. And when we begin to clone, now that doesn't mean we can't learn off each other. I'm not suggesting that we can't learn, be enlarged, or expanded. But we this is really important because there's this thought that creeps in, and this is just a pastor because I hear it from people all the time. Why aren't we like them? It's because God doesn't want us to be like them. It is his intention that we're different than them. So let's just slay this. Well, that's what they do. Well, praise God. That's their fingerprint. That's not our fingerprint. We're a mosaic, and God's not cloning and so we have to begin to understand that, that, that and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, that we're not everything in the body of Christ, but we are an important thing in the body of Christ. Are you following me? Now, when the Bible uses the word church, it refers in my thinking to probably one of three things, an identifiable local gathering of believers. When I say church, I don't know where your mind goes, but for most people, I think they think of their local body. It's a church. The second thing the Bible, I believe, is intending when it speaks of church is that there is an identifiable group of believers that are assigned to a region or a city. This is what Bishop has opened us up to. That there is a church that is, that is in a region. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We would recognize that there are good churches, but together we're a church. And then thirdly, I believe the Bible, when it speaks the word church, is probably also inferring that it's the global name of God's people. It's his church, globally, in every nation. Now, I want to explore this because it's important to all of us that we understand and we fit into God's mosaic that he calls the church. And this is one of my opportunities to teach and I'm going to give you some big words. Is it okay? Because I think when you come to church, you ought to enlarge your vocabulary. I've had people go, don't use such big words. Listen, come on. Expand your vocabulary a little bit. Come on. Just, just, just be wild and, and learn a new word. Yeah. You know, ecclesiology is the word they use for studying the church. The ecclesia, the church. So we want to study the church. It's important. You're part of it. When you, were, when you were redeemed, God called you into his church. You better know what you got called into, don't you think? So we're going we're gonna to explore this in the next couple of weeks. And uh, today, we're going to start by what I've entitled, Pulling Out the Roots of Division. Pulling Out the Roots of Division. And basically, I'm going to talk about Breaking the power of sectarianism. See, we're already learning another word, sectarianism. All right? 
but actually we're pulling out the roots of division. Let's read God's word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Is it okay? We're going to read 15 verses of scripture. I realize I am violating every every leadership conference that goes on today by saying you can't hold the people any longer than 30 minutes or listen the reason we're in the state we're in in america is because most churches give you 30 minutes of download and we need about 30 hours a week of download but i won't go there but hear me we need to hear god's word so let's do this i want to read it to you paul writes chapter three and i brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people but as to carnal or fleshly it's the same word flesh carnal sarks same word carnal as to babes in christ so if you're carnal you're actually actually acting like a what a baby if you're being carnal you're being a baby i fed you with milk and not with solid food babies have to have milk is that not right i mean if you have a newborn baby or a baby that's just you know several months old you can't you can't go to longhorn order them a big old sirloin and stuff that in their mouth i mean they can't even gum it to death he says i have to feed you with milk not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it and even now you're still not able do you know there are people you'll ask them they said how long you've been a christian and they'll go i've been a christian for 30 years no they haven't they've been a christian for about one year and they just keep doing it over and over again and they've done it for 30 years so they're one year old when they've been walking with the Lord supposedly 30 years because they haven't grown up. It gets quiet when you talk about that, doesn't it? If I've walked with the Lord for 30 years, I want to be a 30-year-old Christian, not a one-year-old who's just lapping a mountain. For you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? Listen, jealousy, envy, striving divisions you're being carnal you're being a what baby everyone say baby like ernest angley used to do remember baby say baby are you not carnal and behaving he says like mere men i love that statement he says you're acting like natural men natural people you're not acting like you're spiritual you're acting like you're natural you're not acting supernatural you're acting very ordinary for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? And Paul's writing this. But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters but God who gives the increase. I got more to say about that. I got to keep going. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. Oh, my goodness. Man, let the, can we just let that hang for a minute? It's not that I follow. You can't ever say I follow Bishop or I follow, I follow Pastor Baird. I don't, we are one. You may water. I may plant. I may water, you may plant. But anything that happens, God gives the increase. Are you hearing what he's saying? And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. 
according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Interesting. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed uh, by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. I hope I get to that today because that's like that's fascinating if anyone's work which he has built on it endures he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire pulling out the roots of division now most believers including you here that are listening uh, you recognize i would hope that division is a bad thing. It's a dangerous thing. And honestly, it's the pain of every pastor and it's the mystery of most sheep. Whenever the body suffers division, uh, the sheep ask questions, what in the world's going on? Why, why aren't they here? What, what happened? It, it, you know, I'm, what went on in the background? All the sheep usually find you know, confusion in that. And I can tell you as a pastor... We find pain in all of that. What we don't realize is that division on a local church scale or the, the global body of Christ scale has some roots to it that need to be exposed. And so I believe that if I'm called with a prophetic ministry, what better role could a prophet do than expose some of the roots of division? And some of the roots of division is what we call sectarianism paul in this third chapter of first corinthians dives into sectarianism he'd already opened it up in the first chapter he'd already talked about their sectarian ways now you may say well what does sectarian mean i'm glad you asked sectarianism is a form of bigotry discrimination or even hatred arising from feelings of either inferiority or superiority between gatherings of Christians. In other words, sectarianism is, is when we begin to, to distance ourselves from other believers only on the basis of we don't like them. Either we feel like we're better than they are or somehow or another we feel less than they are. Now the church at Corinth had not officially divided yet. But there were these roots of division that were beginning to enter in and they, they were already sinking in deep because Paul writes, he said, I hear what's going on here. In the church, they say, I'm of, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. In the first chapter, he says, I'm of Cephas. There's some of you that are following. And then there's the super spiritual crowd that says, I'm of Jesus. I don't, I don't listen to anybody but Jesus. And realize when they said, I'm of Jesus, that wasn't a mark when he was writing it in that that sectarian passage he wasn't saying that as a, a point of affirmation for them he was saying yeah yeah you guys don't think you need a teacher you just follow jesus and i'm just telling you you need a teacher but but you're already sectarian by the way you act they were they were split now it wasn't the first time we see this uh israel struggled with sectarianism in the tribes you know actually there was one nation with many tribes 12 tribes 
And even within those tribes, the only thing that would ever bring the tribes together was when they were fighting a war. It's interesting. The only thing that ever brings the church together is adversity. If adversity ever comes to America, that's when you'll start seeing the people of God or the church of Jesus Christ beginning to come together. It's hard to be upset with one another when you're sitting in the same catacomb. Isn't it? When you're in the same cave, it's hard to separate from your brother or from your sister. It's interesting that even when Jesus was in the earth and he was walking, his disciples had sectarian inclinations. In Mark 9, 38, we read, Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. Oh, stop the presses. Oh my God, somebody's getting free from the devil. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. I always take great solace in the fact that Jesus, the the, the perfect Son of God, the perfect Son of Man, Jesus, the incarnated, enfleshed person of the Godhead, who got to choose his own 12 disciples, he he chose some real losers. That really helps me. It it really helps me. Jesus, think about it, Jesus chose Judas. Jesus chose Peter. If you ever ever wonder, how in the world did all of these come around me? I always say to myself, hey, Jesus got to choose his own 12. And there were times you look at them and go, oh my, oh, oh myself, I actually chose this person. So sectarianism, and, and Paul interestingly doesn't link sectarianism to the devil. Hear me when I say this, sectarianism is not linked to a spirit that you got somewhere from a demon. Sectarianism is linked to your flesh. There's something in our flesh that wants to uh, uh, divide. There's something in our flesh that wants to, that wants to somehow think that, that we're it. There's something in our flesh that needs to be addressed in order that the greater work of the kingdom can begin to take place. Now, there are five pillars of sectarianism uh, that I want to talk about. Now, I don't know if I'm going to get through all of this. I promise you we're not going to stay here late into the afternoon. And I want to get, get somewhere because there's some other things in upcoming weeks I want to share with you. But I want to make sure we get this because uh, this is going to be critical in your life. So hang with me. You may say, I don't know why this is important, but you will hear momentarily. There are five pillars of sectarianism. Let's identify it. The first one is this. It's what I call convoluted or twisted loyalty. Now, there's an appropriate loyalty that should exist in the body of Christ. In fact, we have almost made loyalty a dirty word in the church. There's an appropriate loyalty because you're not going to get anything done in a local church unless there's some loyalty. If you can't count on somebody, if you, if you, if you can't know that they're with you and, and they're going to be with you and walk with you and, and press through not only the good times but some of the bad times and the challenging times and the family times and the times when you don't agree with each other, if you don't have a sense of loyalty, nothing gets done. Listen, I can tell you right now, nothing would get done in our country, in the military. There's nothing that really would happen in your household. Can a, can a marriage exist without loyalty? 
I can go down the list, but we have somehow made loyalty a dirty word. So I want to say before I get into this and you potentially turn it into something I don't mean, you've got to have loyalty. There is a kingdom virtue of loyalty. But sectarianism is when loyalty gets convoluted. It's when you're convinced that this loyalty, in fact, maybe it's codependency, and maybe there are other words for it, but what they were doing, were, were they were saying this, they were dividing on the basis of their teachers. Now, I'll get to this, but they were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I only hear from Jesus, so we know these four groups are going, and what they were saying in all of that is, you don't have anything to say to me. You don't have anything to input my life with. There is no reason for me to hear what, what, what's coming out of, of your mouth. And, it, and it's convoluted in that sense. It's a convoluted or it's a loyalty that's twisted that thinks... I've, I've watched this for years. I'm glad people, again, I'm glad people are loyal to me, but I've, I've gone on vacation and watched half the church skip church because I was out of town. Now, I appreciate your loyalty. Don't misunderstand me. We've got to have a loyalty to do a work. But, but if you're going to skip church because I went on vacation, they ain't some, something ain't right. And it isn't with me. What do you call that? So what I'm simply saying is, is if I have to go off on vacation or Brad goes on vacation or Bishop goes on vacation, I mean, everybody gets a vacation. You get a vacation. Aren't you glad? Everybody gets a vacation. But if, but if, but if all you can hear is that singular voice, as loyal as you would appropriately be, then you're missing something. Hear me? It's twisted. Sectarianism. The second pillar is an organizational soul tie. Now what I mean by this is I grew up in a church, a denominational church, and there are people there that are soul tied to the organization or that denomination. They can't imagine God doing anything or them even experiencing anything out of their denominational square. Now, we're not pitching stones at a denomination, but they are soul tied to it in an inappropriate way. That there comes a moment, as, as faithful as you may be, and maybe that is where God has placed you, that if you're soul tied to it, it, it becomes a, a point of being uh, really a, a blinder or, or a place where you're veiled as to other things God can do. You know, those of you that grew up in Baptist circles, or like I was a Nazarene, and some are Episcopalian, and or, or, or dear Catholic people, I mean, and, and all of us, we could throw out different, you know, Lutheran and Presbyterian. It's like they say, the only place I'll ever go is a Presbyterian church. Well, that's fine, but you don't hear anything. You aren't hearing what God's saying. I'm not pitching stones at it. There are great Presbyterian churches out there, but you're soul tied to an organization and not linked to God himself. Number three pillar of sectarianism is specialism. What do I mean by specialism? It's when you hang around folks that say these words, we are it. We're it. We're the special ones. We are the move of God. We are it. Now, I mean, you, you, you guys may be doing a little something, but we we are it. We are the center of the universe. I like what, what Bishop said the other day. He said, there are people that call themselves the city church. I mean, you really have to kind of stop for a minute and say to yourself, really? Really? It's specialism. We are it. Let me tell you, you're, we're not it. Now, again, we are important, but we're not it. It. 
This is a mosaic, right? The kingdom and the work of God is expressed in a mosaic. We have an important piece in that mosaic. Our glass is an important piece of glass. But we are not the only glass. Nor are we the it glass. And when you begin to think you are it, you are dangerously close to being sectarian. Number three, a remnant mentality, which is very close to specialism. A remnant mentality is this. We are part of the few. There may be others. They're probably in other cities, but we're part of the remnant. A remnant mentality, listen, can be uh, an indicator of sectarianism. I always remind people of this, that in the book of the Revelation... John has a vision of what it looks like in heaven. And this is what he says. I see a number no man can number. In other words, he says, I see people. There are so many heads in this place that I can't even count them all. I don't know where we always get the rem- I understand. No, I do know where we get the remnant mentality in scripture. But we need to be careful that we, we think like Elijah thought when he said, I'm the only one. We are the only one. We're sitting here under our tree. We are it. Nobody else is praying like we pray. Nobody else is as faithful as we're faithful. And God speaks and says, there are yet thousands that have yet to bow their knee to the Baals. We need to remember that. A remnant mentality oftentimes is a pillar of sectarianism. And then um, doctrinal exclusivity is sectarianism. Um, Again, I grew up in a church that had a doctrine that it revolved around. It was the doctrine of entire sanctification. Now, I'm not going to teach you what that means or what that doctrine is, but it was very exclusive. We are a holiness church. We teach holiness. And um, it became sectarian. I, I always remember the story my wife tells. She tells this great story growing up in Seymour, Indiana. At the time of her high school there were, two, there were two influential churches in the town of Seymour. One church was the Nazarene Church, a very large church in Seymour, Indiana, uh, unusually large for the population of that town. And then there was an apostolic Pentecostal church, which is a little bit different because apostolic Pentecostals were Jesus-only people. And secondly, they believed that even in salvation, a manifestation of your salvation would be the speaking in tongues. And so she tells this story... Yeah, yeah, but they, they dressed the same, and then they were very, you know, cognizant of, of, of you know, women, you know, women didn't wear pants, and they used little to no makeup, and, uh, and, and so there were very, there were some similarities, but, but obviously there were some differences doctrinally, but I always remember the story you tell, like going to somewhere after evening service, and you'd meet up with the kids from the Apostolic Pentecostal Church, and they'd be sitting at one table. This is how my wife would tell it. They'd be sitting at one table, and, and the Nazarene kids may be at the other table, and they'd begin to interact and talk. And uh, one, of, one of them would say, hey, did you have a good service at your church? And the Nazarene kids would go, yeah, we had a great service at our church. And then the AP kids would go, did anyone speak in tongues? Then the Nazarene kids would go, no, nobody spoke in tongues. It was a Nazarene church. Nobody spoke in tongues. And so the AP kids would go, then how could you say you had a good service? Doctrinal exclusivity. It's when you begin to think that whatever it is you believe, that you have the end all. In understanding, revelation, and even in doctrinal matters. Now the question comes up is, why is is that bad? 
Why, why is it bad, some of these things that maybe we just have lived with or endure? It causes you, Paul says, to behave or to walk as a mere man. When we embrace these things, now you, you can make up your own rules in Christianity, and many people do. This, this is the era we're living in in the 21st century. People just make up whatever they want to make up, and they just call it Christian. But I'm telling you on the basis of God's word that when a church or an individual or a person begins to demonstrate sectarian attitude, that Paul says this, it causes you to behave or walk as a mere man. In other words, you're no longer spiritual, you're no longer supernatural, you are just like every other person in the earth. And how many of you realize that when you were born again, you were born again into something greater than just being like everyone in the earth who's dead in their trespass and sin? It causes you to behave. This is, I put three quick things down here. Kingdom power. You are called to be a supernatural person. But when you're sectarian, you become a mere man and you lose the possibility of demonstrating kingdom power. Kingdom power. See, right now we are so locked into church mentality. And again, this is going to have to be parsed carefully in these next few weeks. The church is God's idea and it is important and you need to be in it. But when we, when we become sectarian in it, it cuts us off from the kingdom and its power. Power doesn't flow because we go to church. Power flows because we're in the kingdom. Are you following me? Going to church is important because the church helps you access kingdom power. But you walk like mere men. It's gone. The second thing is the revelation. Bishop mentioned this, and and it was so important. If we don't get an understanding and break out of our sectarianism and our divisions, we will not get the nuggets that produce for us the hidden keys. You guys in this room right now, there's some of you that are needing a key. You're needing a key to your marriage. You're needing a key to your family. You're needing a key to your kids. You're needing a key to your job. You're needing some keys to your resource, to prospering, to your retirement. You're trying to get some keys. Should I invest? I need some keys to some things. Keys to get me out of this depression. Keys to get me out of this discouragement. Lord, I have to get some keys here and God has keys for you, but they will not come if you're walking as a mere man. And then thirdly, and it said it in, in 1 Corinthians 3, if, if, as we read through that, did you hear that every man will be rewarded? You will miss rewards. The reason the American church struggles with power, revelation, and the favor of God is because of our sectarianism, and we walk as mere men. We fill churches up all over this nation, but we fill them up as mere men. So, how is sectarianism revealed? Well, here's the good thing. I've always said this before, that most things spiritually come to us through one of two ways. People have heard me say this for years. Number one is by revelation. Maybe a sermon like this, a message like this will unveil eyes, and you'll say, man, I need to make sure that there's no sectarian tentacles in me That's one way it can happen. The second way, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, was by fire or by adversity. Every man's work, every man's life 
You never really know what's inside of you until the fire comes to it. (laughs) Isn't that true? We think we're doing just fine until the Lord puts a little heat on it or allows a little heat to come to it. I'm doing pretty good here. Well, we'll see. We'll let a little adversity come into your life. And because you understand circumstances don't create your spirit, it only reveals your spirit. So you get a little heat on that and something bubbles out. You get a little fire in your life and something begins to manifest. You you, you experience a setback. And it's interesting because setbacks, you know, and I've fallen into this. Sometimes I say setbacks are always the devil. I don't believe that to be true because Joseph experienced how many, at least a couple of significant setbacks in order to get him to the number two place in all of Egypt. Those setbacks were divinely ordered for him. And sometimes a setback is simply an an opportunity to to unveil or release what it is that's in your heart. You never know what's in you until some pressure, some setbacks, a challenge, maybe an enemy or adversity comes to you. That fire gets applied to you and it begins to reveal your heart. So fire comes. It will come. That's what Paul said. Every man's work will be revealed by fire. Fire. Everybody say fire. Fire. Well, okay, now let's start talking about how then is all this remedied? How are the roots pulled out? I'm going to share what I think I'm pulling from these passages in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 15, about how we can begin to pull these sectarian roots out. And, And there are a couple important points that I want to make as we go through this. Number one is this. You begin to pull out sectarianism by listening to fivefold voices, fivefold ministry voices. It's interesting at Corinth, um, they were dividing over their ministers. They were dividing over their leaders. I'll just say it again. They were saying, I'm a Paul. And then and this is what Paul said. He said, who's Paul? Who am I? Apollo, Cephas. Some of them didn't want any minister. They, just, they were just you know, following whatever they felt like Jesus was telling them, which sounds good at first. Uh, but fact of the matter is, you know, Peter would go on to say there is no interpretation of Scripture that comes privately. And uh, so we need help in understanding what God is saying, and that's why there are ministers and teachers that come to us. But Paul didn't say that all of those voices weren't important. He simply said that you can't divide according to those voices. Here's the deal that I think was the real revelation that should have landed at Corinth. Those people needed to hear from Paul and from Cephas and from Apollos, and they needed to go and hear from Jesus himself. I don't think any of them are bad. I think they were all needed to be heard. But the problem is, Our flesh, our carnal nature, our flesh, our flesh likes certain things. Now, I'll be the first one to say there are ministries and ministers because we listen, you know, on Sunday morning, we'll turn on, you know, one of the the religious channels and we'll listen to certain pastors we enjoy listening to and and, uh, we'll listen on the radio to certain pastors that we enjoy listening to. And there's, again, nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's probably a lot that's right in that. 
Because you need to listen to other voices. And sometimes we turn people off because we say they, they don't sound a certain way. They aren't as interesting. They aren't as this. They aren't as that. Listen, you never know what God's going to send your way that's going to drop you a nugget of truth, the very key you need, and you're going to miss it because you're being carnal because something they do you don't like. And I have committed myself on this new season that Legacy is in that, you know what, I can preach. I preached for 30, what, 6, 7, 8. I was preaching about 6 months after I got born again. So I'm almost up to 40 years of preaching. I don't need to preach another sermon. I, I'm, not, I'm not as anxious as, as I was when I was a young man. When I was a young man, it was always like, when do I get to preach again? When do I get to preach again? Oh, I got to preach. I got to preach. I gotta. And so I was always looking for opportunities as a young man. And, I, and, and it's because I enjoyed it. It was the call of God. And I still enjoy it to some extent. And it's still the call of God. But I have done this now for 40 years. I don't need, there is no need in me to have to preach another sermon. But there is a need in me that whatever God has called me to be, to deposit that in God's people. But realizing that let's just stipulate that I stand in the fivefold ministry of a prophet. You need to hear a prophet's voice, but you need to hear an apostle's voice. And you need to hear an evangelist's voice. And you need to hear a pastoral voice. And you need to hear a teaching voice. Because if you don't hear those five voices, you will never mature according to Ephesians 4, 11, 12. Go on through verse 16. You will never mature into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And the reason America is carnal in its church-going ways is because we just decide we're listening according to our preferences. I'll bring ministers in and people will go, I don't even know if I want to go to that. I, I don't mind listening to pastor, but I don't even know if I want to go to that. Why should I go to that? It's because you will never fulfill what God has asked of you. It's like when your kids say, I'll listen to dad, but I won't listen to mom. How, do, how well does that go over in your house? Oh, well, I can take it from dad, but I don't know if I want to hear it from mom. Or I like it when mom gives it. You know, when dad gives it, it's like the hammer. How many of you know in your house, their kids, they need input from both. It wouldn't fly with your kids if they were to look and say, oh, no, I don't listen to them. Or if they came home, of course, I can't hardly say it in the day we're living in. Kids used to come home and they'd say, I don't want to listen to that teacher. I don't, like, I don't like the teacher they gave me this year at school. And it used to be as parents, we'd look at our children and say, suck it up, buttercup. You're going to school. And you're going to listen to that teacher because you got him for nine months, so you just better get used to it. Now, it doesn't happen that way anymore. As parents, we'll go in, stand on the principal's desk, because little Johnny or little Sarah, their, their, their sensitive psyche might be traumatized for years because they had to go to that classroom where that teacher they didn't like was at. And we wonder why we're raising up kids that just accentuate our dysfunctions. Because there are voices that have to come to you that aren't always packaged like you want them, but you need them. Corinth needed all those voices, and they were saying, well, I'll listen to so-and-so, but I don't know if I'm going to listen to that one. Because, because it's a mosaic. It's a, mo a church is a mosaic. And God flows through that mosaic so that you might hear 
His Word. So we need to listen to fivefold voices. Second way to pull it out is a realization that you're a piece of the kingdom and not the whole kingdom. You're a piece and not the whole. Uh, when we would go to visit uh, Tracy's mom before she passed away, this is, this is for years, I noticed uh, that what I'm about ready to share with you, it, it's not there anymore, but, but we would drive down a road in Inman. Think about this, Inman, South Carolina. Who here has heard of Inman, South Carolina? Oh, oh, well, a good many of you has heard of Inman. Well, that's amazing. But you'll know that Inman is not the center of the universe, right? I mean, Spartanburg, I mean, Inman is like a suburb of Spartanburg. And, Spart- and Spartanburg is like... Anyway, um, and listen, she's from Spartanburg, so I'm married to Spartanburg girl. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm picking. I'm just telling you, though, that, that I'm, this is important. This is for the illustration. Don't be offended because you need to hear me. But we would drive down this road in Inman, and, and, and there in a strip mall, there was a church. And the church's name, this was the church's name. It was, on, on their sign, the Universal Body of Christ. I thought to myself, well, the Universal Body of Christ. You know, right next to, you know, the Nail Emporium and La Hacienda is the universal body of Christ. Now, you can't, you can't fault them for their vision, but you, but you kind of need to fault them for their ecclesiology because they ain't the universal body of Christ. In fact, I, I, maybe they grew and they went on. I hope that's the case. But they aren't even... The, the universal body of Christ isn't even there anymore. We are not the whole thing. We are a peace. And it's important to remember that we are a peace, which means we can respect the other pieces while at the same time understanding our important piece of the mosaic. And I think it'll liberate, at least it's liberating me. No one church can do it all. No one church can do it all. I don't care if it's a, if it's a super duper, super sized mega church. It can't do it all. It can, have, it can have a thousand programs going on and it still can't do it all. I'm not throwing stones at it. I'm glad for the work. I'm glad for what they're doing. And God's, hopefully God's working and they're responding to the call of God at that location. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times in our eyes, we say to ourselves, why can't we have all that they're doing? It's because it's a mosaic, people. Listen, this is what God's put in me. We're not going to be able to do everything. I, I mean, we're going to do more. We're going to grow. But, but we're not going to ever be able to do everything. We're not going to be able to have 15,000 ministries going on because even if we did have that going on, it still wouldn't be the whole. And that's why it's so important to understand the tribe that God has led you in. I'll tell you this much. This tribe is unapologetically Spirit-empowered. We work in the things of the Spirit. We allow places for the prophetic word. We'll be preaching on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We'll teach through podcasts and in church about the speaking in tongues and praying in the Spirit. We don't backpedal with that. Everyone else may not do it. And some people interpret that as, well, if you want to be what they are, then quit teaching that stuff. No, 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 no. We're the peace of the mosaic of the kingdom. They need to hear it. 
And with my dying breath, they'll hear it from me. Are you following me? So we can affirm that. We can even go and, we can even go and be enlarged by it at times. Now, you've got you to be loyal, I think, to your tribe if something's going to be built there. But hear me when I say this. Even in a city, even in a city, we can help each other. We don't have to wait for the next flood to help each other. We don't have to wait for the next adversity. We don't need to wait for the next shooter to come in from out of town to walk in one of our churches and blow away a bunch of people so we can all finally understand we're in this thing together. I'm preaching. Number three, we got to get the revelation of planting, watering, and increasing. Any person that comes to legacy, I'm, I'm, and I'm just, telling, I'm just sharing things that God's been dropping to me, things I probably knew, but sometimes just needs a little flashlight on it. Any person that comes to legacy has been probably, in all likelihood, if they're from America, been worked on by someone else. In other words, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase, and I'm sure God led him and planted them probably where they needed to go. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I'll just be honest with you. Is it all right if I'm just transparent? If it bothers you, if it bothers you, we'll have another voice in here soon enough. Now, I hate it. Hear me when I say this. I hate it when people leave. I hate it. I, I don't like it. I don't want it. If, only, if you knew what went on behind the scenes in situations, you would be amazed and marveled at what goes on to try to, 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 to fix whatever's going on. Listen, I can stand here with clean hands and a pure heart and tell you that in almost every case, I've done everything known to God and man to help bring some sort of peace to situations. And sometimes people just leave, and I hate it. I especially hate it when they don't do it very well. I'm going to say this out loud, too. If you feel like your time's up or God's moving you on, I mean, I get that, that God does this. It's a mosaic. I get it. In fact, probably the next time someone wants to leave, they'll probably bring the mosaic up to my... Well, you know, it's a mosaic. Okay, I get it. Uh, you listen to that part anyway. But it's not a mosaic. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's, 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 it, this isn't covenant. And one of my lessons these next few weeks is going to be on covenant. So... I'm going to get to this again. Covenant, you cannot covenant with someone and then give them a text at a Saturday night at 10.30 p.m. and tell them we're not with you anymore and you're counting on them in different areas. That's not what covenant looks like. That's not what mosaic looks like. It happens more times than I can count. It never happens on a Monday morning. It always happens on a Saturday night. I decided I'm going to say it. God may lead you on and, and you know what if he leads you on I think it can all happen in an appropriate way But but handle it understanding that this is indeed a mosaic People water and they plant and here's the here's the good news We've watered people and maybe they didn't even do it right and they've gone ahead and, and gone a different place And i've already got reports that when they go to other places Because of what we watered them with they're in a better place at that work to help that work out because of being with us. 
Now hear me when I say it. It doesn't absolve them for handling things wrong. But I can tell you one plants, one waters, and God gives the increase. I want to be increased, but that's God's choice in increasing. I can't, I, I've come to the conclusion, which I should have years ago, I can control no one, nor do I want to. In fact, most of your lives, believe me, I don't want to control your life. You do, you do it as unto the Lord. I'll counsel it, I'll input it if you want it. But at this point, it's God. Number four, I've got to run. Jesus is the foundation. How do you break or pull out these sectarian roots? You've got to remember Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is our foundation. I always, and some of you may have heard me tell this story before, that during the Reformation, uh, there were other places besides Germany that Reformation was taking place in the early 1500s. Reformation was breaking out all over Europe. And uh, mostly we know of Martin Luther, who is usually the personality we associate with the, the Reformation of 1517. But there was a reformation going on in Switzerland under Zwingli, a guy by the name of Zwingli. And Zwingli and Luther communicated with each other. And in those days, most, most Christianity was not only associated with the Catholic Church, but most Christianity was associated geographically. So in other words, Germany had its issues and other countries. It was associated that way. Bishops were lined up and leadership was lined up geographically. Well, the Reformation took place and so everything's changing. It's a whole new ball game. And so Luther and Zwingli begin to communicate with each other as to whether or not the work in Switzerland could join up with the work in Germany and these two leaders could work together with regards to what God was doing in the earth to restoring the truth that the just shall live by faith. So they're communicating. They have a meeting. They decided there were 14 points upon which they needed to agree in order for this to work. 14 points. When it was all said and done, they agreed on 13 and a half of those points. The half point that they disagreed on was what took place uh, with the communion elements when they were prayed over. Luther believed in consubstantiation, which he believed that, that the... the the communion elements began to emanate the presence of God. They literally began to emanate. They didn't transubstantiate, which uh, our Catholics teach that, that they literally turn into the body and blood. But he believed in consubstantiation, which is they emanated the very presence of God. Zwingli, on the other hand, believed, and most of our Baptist brethren uh, picked up where Zwingli left off, that he believed they were a memorial, that they didn't, they didn't change at all, but they were more or less illustrations or memorials as to the body and blood of the Lord. Well, anyway, they had this conversation. They agreed in the importance of, of communion, but they disagreed on that half point of what was going to happen with the elements at the moment that the communion was served. Thirteen and a half out of 14 they agreed on. Luther walked away, and this is what he said. He said, they're not of the same spirit we are. Now, hear me. I believe there are essentials. I'm not going to link up with a Unitarian who believes that you can be a Muslim or a Buddhist or there are many ways to heaven or all dogs get to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. So there are some essentials. And those essentials need to be articulated. 
But I tell you that story because for most of us it illustrates the fact that if we want, if we want to make everything in our own personal doctrine an essential, then it's just going to be you, your spouse, and whatever kids are still in the house. Because the fact of the matter is there are all going, all of us are going to have nuances and differences and some shades of differencing in, in this mosaic that it's going to make us, if we want to divide, we have reason to divide. Jesus, however, is the foundation. Jesus is the foundation, the cross, the atonement, the exclusivity of Jesus. He is the chief cornerstone. And I can unite with a lot of people under the banner that Jesus is the only way. I can unite with a lot of people over that because that isn't essential. Are you following me? That's that's the foundation. Your doctrine or your view of eschatology or when Jesus is coming again is not the essential. Because you believe the rapture is going to happen next year on September 23rd is not the essential. That's not the essential. Or you believe you, 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 you have to, you absolutely have to speak in tongues. That's not the essential. And I'm a tongue talker. I believe it's important, but I don't believe, I, I base my, my relationships upon whether or not you go shabba dabba do. And I'm a tongue talker. Jesus is the foundation. And number five, how do these roots get pulled out? We demonstrate the kingdom. Jesus builds the church. The church is not the kingdom. It's a part of the kingdom, but it's not the kingdom. You and I as believers are called to demonstrate the kingdom. We're winning people to Jesus. As much as I want them to come to legacy, we're not winning them to legacy, we're winning them to Jesus. Now, hear me. I want them to come to legacy because God God has purposed and ordered some to be here there's a lot more people that should be here i don't now i i i'm not even saying we're ever going to be a mega church in fact i don't know that we ever will be a mega church with the message that will come from this place but there are some people that need to be here i won't back away from that they're ordered their purpose god has called them and they need to be here but we do the works of the kingdom we're not winning them we're not winning them to the label we're not, we're not winning them to the local church. We're winning them to Jesus and they're being brought into a kingdom and the church becomes the home with which they can be tended to and they maybe can receive the part of the mosaic that we are to help disseminate that into the broader work of the, the church here in Charleston or even the nation. See, some of you have have caught the DNA that's inside a pastor. That's one of the reasons you have teachers and pastors, you catch DNA. And, you, and you've got some DNA in there, and, and it's not my DNA, it's the DNA God put in me in order that it can be disseminated to you. And you know what your job is? Your job is to disseminate that which now you've been enlarged to do. You are a piece of this. And so when your friend who goes to that other church calls you up and, and they're needing help, pray for them. Pray in tongues for them. Just Declare to them the kingdom. Talk about the power of God. Enlarge them. They need what we've got and we need some of what these people have. Are you following me? 
And when Bishop says that this is a spirit, the city church is a spirit, and I, I don't want to parse his words, and he, he, he can always come and correct me later, but this is what I'm, I'm hearing. I'm hearing that when it's a spirit and not an organization, there is no way we're all going to just burn up our organizational documents and we're all going to meet down at the North Charleston Coliseum. That is never going to happen on several fronts and several reasons. But the spirit of the thing is realizing that there are people doing a great work. And you don't have to be threatened. You don't have to fear. You don't have to become territorial. They may be planting. We may be watering. God will give us the increase. These are the days that the Lord is saying, do you trust me? Do you believe that I can bring that which I've designed you to have? Will you be your piece of the mosaic unapologetically? I'm not trying to be the biggest, greatest. I'm not trying to mirror that, that pastor who put out that book that everybody's running to saying, this is the way to do it. I've already been down that road, not going down that road anymore. I'm going to be and we're going to be what God has asked us to be. And we're going to feel good about being that piece of glass in the mosaic. Because it wouldn't look the same without us. It needs us. And we need them. I'll finish with this. Hey Brad, do we have an ability to get your people up here and play? Why don't you grab them real quick? Maybe play that last song. I've been overseas just enough to know this one thing, overseas. That in foreign countries, they see far more of the kingdom of God flow in power than we do here in America. I'll go overseas. Listen, I went to Russia one time. And I'll move in the prophetic here in America. But when I was in Russia, God was dropping into my head Russian names. And I don't know Russian. But he dropped names. I'll never forget the guy he dropped into me one time. And I said his name was Ilya. I said, Ilya, Ilya, Ilya. God just keeps saying, Ilya, suicide. Ilya, suicide. And in this meeting, there was a guy by the name of Ilya that came to that meeting ready to commit suicide. And he was going to do it after the meeting. It was his last, he was saying, this is the last effort, chance I've got. I'm going to see if this works. God spoke his name through me, Ilya. I said the word suicide. And he came up and God broke the power of suicide over Ilya that day. Now, that hasn't happened to me like that anywhere except in Russia. Russia. Whenever I go to another country, you wonder why we like to go to other countries? It's because the kingdom flows incredibly powerfully when you're in other countries. But let me tell you why. It's because in other countries, especially with the missionaries, they'll have gatherings in other countries. I remember in Nicaragua, they had a Christian school there, and they had Presbyterian missionary kids and and, and Pentecostal missionary kids and Baptist missionary kids and Lutheran missionary kids. And let me tell you, when you're a missionary in a foreign country, labels, labels just fade away. And they all just gather and they support each other and they support each other's work. Because when they go to that country, they realize there's such strongholds, there's such, there's such demonic power in most foreign countries that if they don't work together... They'll never get the work done in that nation. And within a missionary, a missionary seems to have the heart to be able to be inclusive with those who on the essentials they can unite with. And God does something in those nations that just is kingdom powerful. 
I've been to pastors' meetings in foreign countries, and I've got pastors from every denomination stripe imaginable, and they're all sitting there with their notebooks open. A hundred, a hundred. I remember in Nicaragua one time, a hundred of them. Russia, it happened one time. There were a couple hundred pastors, and all of them are from different denominations and fellowships and backgrounds, and they're listening to this, this guy who's full gospel Pentecostal, and they didn't care. They were, Lutherans were writing it down. Baptists were writing it down. All they were saying was, enlarge me, help me, help me. I, I, I got to get something from God that can happen. We don't do that in America. Isn't that true, Fred? You can't, get, you can't get ministers hardly to get together in America. You know why? It's because we're convinced we don't need God. We're convinced that we've got the technology and the smarts and we can go to school and we've got leadership books and, and we can market and we know exactly what we need to do and we can get the people to come, but we don't have a thimble full of kingdom. And that's where power flows from. It's the kingdom. Not from that microphone, not from that synthesizer, not from that screen. We could helicopter Ronald McDonald in for Ronald McDonald Day at Legacy. Oh, and you'll get people coming because I love Ronald. Are we stupid? Do you not, doesn't that sound, doesn't me saying that just sound stupid? Well, but that's what we do. Of course, you know what Paul did. We were laughing about this the other day. Paul got a saved gladiator, and they had gladiator day at church. And he did a sword demonstration with other saved gladiators. Because, you know, you know, when they got saved in the early church, they didn't go to the gladiatorial games, because why would you pay money to go into a gladiatorial game to watch two guys try to kill each other, stab each other? But, you know, we want to be relevant. So we'll get the gladiators. We'll give them wooden swords. We'll let them do a fight, but we'll be relevant to the gladiator crowd. Does that sound as stupid to you as it just did to me saying it? Oh, but that's America. It's America. And somebody's got to remind them that this isn't about growing bigger barns. And building bigger barns and saying, soul, take thine ease. This is about the kingdom of God. And pressing into the domains of darkness. And if we'll get that, God will honor that. God will honor that. Stand with me, will you?